My global IQ is 109. I'm your host, Jim Falk, and today I'm joined by John Carreyrou, the author of Bad Blood, Secrets and Lies in a Silicon Valley Startup, which exposes the underbelly corruption at the blood testing company Theranos, founded by Elizabeth Holmes. He was part of a special team at the Wall Street Journal that won a Pulitzer Prize for its coverage of corporate scandals. For his work on Theranos, he won the George Polk for financial reporting, the Gerald Loeb and Bartlett Steele Awards. Bad Blood was also named by the Financial Times as the Book of the Year, and as if it needed additional recommendations, I really couldn't put it down. So I think, John, most of us have heard about the story. But I bet you are pretty good, given the fact that you've been on book tour for quite a long time, to give just a a quick summation of what Theranos is, and then we'll get more into Elizabeth Holmes. Right, right. So the the story of Theranos starts in uh, late 2003. Uh, Elizabeth Holmes, uh, the founder of the company at that point, is a 19-year-old sophomore at Stanford, and she decides to drop out midway through her sophomore year to found a, a startup in the heart of Silicon Valley, around her vision and her vision is for a portable blood testing device at first it's a bracelet the bracelet concept she realizes uh isn't really feasible and so she she pivots to something a little bit less ambitious but really she wants a blood testing machine that can do the full range of lab tests off just a tiny sample of blood pricked from the finger and that becomes the the vision that she pursues over the ensuing 12 years and the problem is that during the development of the technology, they ran into uh, numerous obstacles. Uh, it was actually a very difficult technology to, to realize. And she started lying to, to her investors and to board members, eventually to doctors and patients about the technology, the, the feasibility of the technology. And, and when I came along in 2015 and exposed her uh, really that there was a huge gap between what she claimed she had achieved uh, with the company and what and what she had truly achieved. How did the story come to your attention? I got a tip uh, shortly after reading a New Yorker profile of Elizabeth Holmes in the late 2014 and the tip came from a practicing pathologist in the Midwest who'd read that very same profile and who's extremely skeptical of her claims in it and uh, that got me digging a little, I started doing some research and then shortly thereafter was able to make contact with a former employee who had just left the company and who had been in a key position. He had been laboratory director at the company and so he knew where all the bodies were buried. He was terrified because the the company, he had just left the company and the company was hounding him. They were trying to get him to sign non-disclosure agreements and have access to his, to his, uh, personal email because he had sent himself work emails to protect him, himself. And so he wouldn't talk to me uh, on the record at first. I had to grant him confidentiality and we gradually built a relationship of trust. And he, he was the first source who enabled me to crack the, the scandal open. I want to ask you about the pathologist, Adam Clapper. Very interesting guy. Right. Um, I had come across him about eight months prior for the first time. The previous year in 2014, I'd been working with a several colleagues on an investigation of Medicare fraud. And one of the stories was going to deal with labs uh, defrauding Medicare. And so I needed to understand lab billing better. And I had come across this obscure blog called the Pathology Blog, 
which I don't think was read by very many people. He, he spelled blog, B-L-A-W-G. And the guy who wrote this blog often posted about uh, abuses in the lab industry. And I thought, who better than this guy to explain to me the complexities of lab billing and how Medicare can be uh, defrauded by labs. And so sure enough, I reached out to him and, and he was helpful. And then uh, we didn't talk for the next eight months. And then when he read the piece in the New Yorker about Elizabeth Holmes and was immediately suspicious, he reached out to me. So what's the status of the case now? So the case is a criminal case. Three weeks after the hardcover edition of my book was published, uh, Elizabeth Holmes and her ex-boyfriend, Sonny Balwani, were indicted on 11 counts of wire fraud. And the wheels of justice, as you know, turned slowly, but a trial date was finally set. The trial is going to start in late July. The, the last week of July is jury selection and then early August opening arguments. One of our interns at the World Affairs Council came across this article by Joel Rosenblatt that was in Bloomberg Technology. Elizabeth Holmes blames journalists for Theranos troubles. Yeah, no, I expect that to be a line of defense at the trial. I think her uh, lawyers have hinted at this in court filings that they're going to take the position that a rabid journalist, uh, i.e. me, influenced, improperly influenced regulators to, to crack down on Theranos in ways that were harsher than was normal and that, that the company's undoing resulted from this crackdown by regulators, namely the, the Food and Drug Administration and the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. So you expect to be deposed? No. I mean, we'll see, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I won't be part of the trial. I, I think the only, other than this line of defense, the other way in which I may come in and be mentioned in the trial is during jury selection. Her uh, defense lawyers will be asking every prospective jury whether they've read the book and whether they've read any of my uh, newspaper stories in the Wall Street Journal. And it was a bestseller. How many books have been sold? Close to 850,000 domestically and uh, about 1.1 million worldwide. Now a word from our sponsor. Dallas Baptist University is a global Christ-centered institution whose students are making an impact in business, law, medicine, education, public service, and the list goes on. DBU is honored to sponsor the Global IQ podcast and to offer a significant scholarship for World Affairs Council members towards a master's in international studies. For further information about this scholarship or about DBU in general, email Lee Bratcher at leeb at dbu.edu. So one of the things when people talk about Theranos that they always bring up is how in the heck did she build a board like she did? I mean, you had Jim Mattis, William Perry, two secretaries of defense, Henry Kissinger, George Schultz, Dr. Bill Frist, formerly of the Senate, Senator Sam Nunn, and of course, Riley Bechtel right. of the Bechtel Company. Early on in the life of her company, she played this game that I uh, have come to call reputational laundering. She would find usually a man who was older, who had credibility to back her, to champion her. The first was her uh, Stanford Engineering School professor, Channing Robertson. A couple years later, she won the backing of Don Lucas, who was a, a famous venture capitalist in Silicon Valley, had backed Larry Ellison, had been uh, had groomed Larry Ellison, helped him take Oracle public in the in the 80s. He thought he had found another Larry Ellison in, in Elizabeth Holmes. And then when, when in 2010, around 2010 or 2011, he started developing Alzheimer's disease, she met George Shultz, the former Secretary of State. 
She was introduced to him by a Stanford Medical School professor. And once she met George Schultz and charmed him and really you know, seduced him with her vision, he was then the door to all these other men with amazing you know, backgrounds in government, Kissinger and, and Mattis and Sam Nunn and Bill Frist. And most of those guys, like George Schultz, were senior fellows at the Hoover Institution, which is the think tank on the Stanford campus. You know, one by one, she got introduced to them by Schultz, and one by one, she got them to agree to, to come onto the board. And of course, there's a connection with Tyler Schultz. I don't want to give away everything in the book, but he certainly plays a pivotal role. And is he the whistleblower? Would you consider He's him? a whistleblower. Um, he was a corroborating source. My, I mentioned earlier, the most important source was my first source, the lab director who goes by the pseudonym Alan Beam in the book because he wanted me to protect his real identity, although I expect it will come out because he'll be a witness there. Tyler was an important source. He was a corroborating source. And Tyler was George Schultz's grandson. And he had worked at Theranos for eight months in late 2013 and 2014, early 2014, and, and had tried to, had, had become convinced that the, the company was behaving unethically and basically con- conducting a, th- a fraud and had tried to open his grandfather's eyes to this fraud and, and failed uh, a year later, became a source of mine. You, you were an investigative journalist with the Wall Street Journal for a number of years. The 2019 Corruption Perceptions Index came out and it showed that the United States is, is dropped and dropped out of the top 20. What do you think is behind all this that we're seeing increased crime uh, among corporations and in politics in the United States? I feel like I can speak more to what's happening in Silicon Valley. And what I can say about that is that it's been this unbelievable gusher of cash uh, since the late aughts, uh, essentially since 2009. This current boom in Silicon Valley began in 2009 when Facebook started reaching uh, amazing valuations when the rest of the country was still licking its wounds from the the recession and the financial crisis. You just can't underestimate the amount of investment that has flowed to Silicon Valley in the past 10, 11 years. And it's created sort of a gold rush, not unlike the gold rush of the late 90s, the dot-com boom. And I think that, you know, these periods of excess uh, lead to fraud. Usually fraud is when you've got a period of excess like that, fraud comes you know, not far behind. And Silicon Valley, you talk about, is very different than the biomedical industry. Right. And I think that's that was uh, the heart of the problem here is Elizabeth styled herself as a, as a sort of second coming of Steve Jobs as a computer industry uh, person. As she dressed a, like him. Right. She dressed like him. Uh, one of her mentors in the early years of Theranos was Larry Ellison. In fact, he invested in Theranos. Uh, but these guys, Jobs and, and Ellison and Gates, they made their fortunes in the computer industry. You know, they were once upon a time accused of exaggerating the features of their products. And, you know, there's this term vaporware in, in Silicon Valley. And a lot of people in the computer industry have been guilty of vaporware. The problem is that Holmes's product was not software. It wasn't something that you could just release and then with bugs and then debug it little by little uh, once it was out there in the market. It was a medical product. It was a medical product that people relied on to make very important health decisions. And she either lost sight of that or she was aware of it and she chose to ignore it. I wanted to ask you about the role of the FDA because it seems like she found a loophole 
And we're hearing a lot now that the Trump administration has withdrawn or cut back on a lot of the regulations. What's the impact of all that? I'll try not to get into too many complicated details about this, but she did exploit a loophole in the lab industry having to do with this category of tests called laboratory-developed tests that have been loosely policed. And the FDA under Obama was actually moving to, to regulate this category of tests closely. Unfortunately, under the Trump administration, that effort has completely fizzled. And if someone were to try to use that loophole again, they could do it probably with even more ease today than, than she was able to do it during the Obama era. Well, congratulations again. I'm sure the paperback will be a bestseller. And I guess if we're patient, we'll get to see the movie. There's a movie in development, and uh, I'm hoping that in the next uh, 18 months to, to two years, it hits the big screen. Jennifer Lawrence is attached to play Elizabeth Holmes. Thank you so much for listening to Global IQ with Jim Falk, a production of the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. I'd like to thank my producers, Kara Sheckman and Kayla Smith, for editing and promoting the podcast. And with that, I ask, what's your Global IQ? I'm Alana Wenbrostro, Director of Corporate Giving at the World Affairs Council. If you like Global IQ, the best way to support it is by becoming a member of the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. Join today at dfwworld.org forward slash join or learn about a World Affairs Council in your community by visiting worldaffairscouncils.org.